Well, good morning, everyone. So great to be uh, with you today. I've missed you, been out the last couple of weeks, was on vacation, and then unfortunately caught COVID on our vacation, but I'm great now, feeling better. Brought a little water just in case I cough, and you're far enough away, so it's good. We're all good. <laughs> I'm excited to be closing out this uh, sermon series we've been calling Better. We've been talking about how life in God's kingdom is so much better than any other alternative that the world has to offer. Amen. Over the last few weeks, we've been talking primarily about how uh, life in God's kingdom is better here and now. But today, I get the privilege of talking about how life in God's kingdom is not just better now, but even after we die, even in death. Now, this topic poses a bit of a problem for me because if you knew we were talking about death today, you might have just stayed home, right? No one likes to talk about death. We, we'd love to avoid that topic as much as possible. And what's more, uh, if you've heard me preach before, you know I usually try to begin with some kind of lighthearted story or joke or something. And how do you joke about death, really, at 10 o'clock on a Sunday morning, right? And so I was trying to figure this out. And uh, last week, a, a pop-up ad came up on my computer, and it was ironic because it was for a casket. And I thought, well, that's the last thing I need. Think about that. Yeah, think about that. Sorry. And, you know, speaking of caskets and graves, some people really get into this, like visiting cemeteries. You know people like this. In fact, like famous people, you know, going to see famous people's graves. Sometime, uh, one time someone invited me to go with them to visit the grave of Karl Marx. I thought that was really interesting. But I, I didn't go, though. I, I just figured it was some kind of communist plot. <laughs> I'm done, I promise. I promise. I didn't get to preach on Father's Day. So I just had to give just a couple of dad jokes. Why are there so many jokes about death and dying? It's because we, we'd rather laugh than cry, right? Sometimes we just want to make light of it uh, to keep our distance. We don't like to think about it often, but death is coming. It's coming for our parents. It's coming for our spouses. It's coming for our friends. And it's coming for us. It doesn't matter whether you eat at Salada or Anamia's. It doesn't matter whether you hit 15,000 steps a day or 1,500. Death is coming. I love what Pastor Larry said many years ago. He said, you know that magazine, Prevention Magazine? They really ought to change the name. They ought to call it Postponement Magazine. <laughs> He's right, isn't he? You can't prevent death. Maybe you can postpone it. You could ignore it. You can tell bad dad jokes about it, but you can't prevent it. Death comes for all living things. Aren't you glad you came to church this morning? Have a great day, everybody. <laughs> well, as is always the case on every topic, even the hard topics, God word, God's word has something important and encouraging to say. So our passage this morning comes from Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians. And these people had recently lost uh, some people that they loved. And Paul wrote them this letter to encourage them. And specifically, this passage uh, he wrote as they were dealing with grief over the loss of loved ones. I'm going to be reading from chapter 4. I'll start at verse 13. Hear the word of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, 
and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word. All right, if you looked at your note sheet, you see that the title of today's sermon is A Better Hope. And I promise I will talk about hope in a few minutes. But before we talk about the light, we have to talk about the darkness. And we need to talk honestly about death for a moment. And the truth about death is this. Apart from Christ, death leads to despair. Apart from Christ, death leads to despair. This is what Paul's saying right at the beginning of our passage. Take a look at verse 13. He says, brothers and sisters, we don't want you to be uninformed like those, uh, about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. He talks about the, the rest of mankind. Who is this? This is people who do not know Christ as their Lord and Savior. And, and, and he says, for everyone who doesn't know Christ, when they face the death of people that they love and care about, they grieve with no hope. Is there any sadder phrase than that? How tragic is that to grieve with no hope? Without Christ, death is final. The game's over. The curtain has come down. It's the very end of your relationships with those you love. And in fact, it's the end of everything. If you think about this for too long, it can take you to a pretty dark place, can it? I mean, if everything eventually ends, if everyone eventually dies, then one way of looking at it is that everything we do here is meaningless. Life is meaningless. In fact, that's the exact conclusion that the writer of Ecclesiastes comes to in the first chapter of his book. I don't know if you've read this. It's a depressing, depressing book. Look at Ecclesiastes chapter 1. He says, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. And it's dark. Now, why does he say everything's meaningless? Well, you look a little bit farther down in the, uh, in the chapter, and he says, even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. Even the people who aren't born yet are going to die and just be forgotten. When you look at life from this perspective, death leads to despair. So how do people deal with this despair? I mean, if you, if you thought about this all, all the time, it'd be tough to even get out of bed in the morning, right? Well, as I've thought about it the last couple of weeks, I think people tend to try to deal with this despair in a few different ways. One way uh, is people just try not to think about it too much. We try to distract ourselves with other things to keep us occupied until the inevitable happens. I think other people respond by, by trying to find some kind of meaning and purpose in, in their lives here and now so that maybe even after I'm gone, maybe some part of me will continue, even if they know that their life is just temporary. Other people, I think, just try to accept it. They say, yes, I know that death is the end, but I won't be aware of it, so I'm not going to worry about it today. However people try to deal with this, this despair, I, I think for most of us, there, when we do think about death, there's this kind of internal dissonance because there's something inside of us. We don't know what it is. We don't know why, but there's something inside of us that says, you know, it doesn't make sense that death is the end. Ecclesiastes 3 puts it this way. He says, God has set eternity in the human heart. In other words, there's this innate sense that we have that there's something more out there. But what is this more? If we have this sense that death isn't the end, uh, then what else is there? And, and how in the world do you figure out what that is if every time somebody dies, they stay dead and they don't come back and tell you about it? 
Think about this. Let's say you've never been to Hawaii, okay? But you probably know somebody who's been to Hawaii or you've seen pictures of Hawaii on, on the internet. So you have a pretty good idea of what it's like because other people have been there and they've told you about it and they show you the pictures. So what would happen if every single person who ever went to Hawaii stayed and never came back? And what if there were no internet? What if there was no FaceTime? What if there were no postcards? How would you know what it was like? You'd have no idea, right? You wouldn't. And that's the way it is with death. I mean, I know lots and lots of people who have died and not a single one of them has sent me a picture. Seriously, I mean, I'm not making a joke. No one has, has texted me back to say, hey, this is what it's like. Because of this, I think people throughout the centuries have come up with their own stories about what it might be like after we die. If, if there's no real answer, if we don't know, then we like to substitute our own stories. And so for some people, maybe it's reincarnation. Maybe if you've been good, you get to live again, but in a better house this time. But if you've been bad, you have to come back as an animal and work your way back up. Maybe it's more of a, a Buddhist approach. Maybe, uh, maybe you just say, well, after we die, you become part of the universe. You're absorbed into nature. Maybe it's more of a Patrick Swayze in the movie Ghost approach. Maybe you become a spirit and, and you go around the earth protecting your girlfriend from bad guys and for some reason creepily watching her make pottery. <laughs> but since no one ever comes back after they die, these approaches, we don't know, right? These are just guesses at best and wishful thinking at worst. They may be nice ideas, but there's no basis for believing them because dead people stay dead. And if they stay dead, by definition, they cannot tell you about what happens. End of story. I think you know where I'm going with this, right? If no one's ever come back from the dead, we have no basis for hope. Death leads to despair. But listen, friends, praise God, someone has come back from the dead. Amen? Amen. Check out verse 14. Look at what Paul says. He says, for we believe that Jesus died and rose again. Those five words, Jesus died and rose again, they change everything. All of human history hinges on those five words, friends. Our faith hinges on those five words. Our hope rests on those five words. When Paul wants to comfort Christians who are grieving the death of their loved ones, the first thing he reminds them is that someone came back. Jesus died and rose again. And what impact does that have on our view of death? Well, check out what he says right after that. He says, we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. You see it? Paul's saying our hope in death isn't based on a guess. It's not based on whatever story we substitute. It's not based on wishful thinking. Our hope in death is based on the sure and solid foundation of the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he says, because we believe that God raised Jesus from the dead, we also believe that God will raise all those who are in Christ from the dead as well. So apart from Christ, death leads to despair. But in Christ, in Christ, death leads to resurrection. For all those who are in Christ, in other words, for all those who have placed their hope in Jesus, who have said, I want you, Jesus, to be my Savior and my Lord. Everyone who's come to him to receive his grace and forgiveness and follow him with all their life. For those who are in Christ, God will bring them with Christ into his resurrection life. This is actually a huge theme throughout the New Testament. 
Uh, I'll give you just a couple of examples. 1 Corinthians 6.14. 1 Corinthians 6.14 says, By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. You see it? 1 Corinthians 6. Let's look at uh, Romans 8.11. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. You see it? This theme is actually all through the New Testament. We could keep going on and on, but I think these examples uh, tell us where, where we're going. We can be confident that those of us who are in Christ will be raised with Christ. Another way of saying it is Jesus' resurrection guarantees our resurrection. Jesus' resurrection guarantees our resurrection. Do we grieve when we lose people who are close to us? Absolutely. Are we sad? Do we mourn when our friends pass into death? Definitely. But are we hopeless? Not on your life. Because praise God, death wasn't the end for Jesus and it's not gonna be the end for us. Jesus' resurrection guarantees our resurrection. We have a better hope, friends. We have a better hope. In Christ, death leads not to despair, but to resurrection. All right, well, that is the main idea of today's message. You could leave right now. Please don't. You could leave right now and get full credit uh, for listening. But, uh, but, but I want to I dig into the passage a little bit more. And here's, here's why. Because there's just so many questions, right? Okay, John, great for you to stand up there and say, Jesus' resurrection guarantees our resurrection. But what does that what does that mean? I have so many questions. What will it be like? When will this happen? Where will we be in the meantime? Will we, will we know each other? Do we really have to sit on clouds and play harps all day? Sounds terrible, by the way. In the time that remains, here's what I want to do. I want to walk through the rest of the passage and talk about the things that we can know from Scripture about the hope that we have. Before I do that, though, I want to give just a couple of caveats, though. First of all, it's really important for us to recognize that this passage was not written to satisfy the Thessalonians' curiosity about the end times. It was not written to give every single answer to every single question uh, that they have about what would happen at the end. No, Paul's purpose was to assure the Thessalonians that they have hope, that they have hope even in death. Because of this, we should read uh, the passage not to try to get every one of our questions answered, but instead, we should read this passage to see how we can find hope in the face of death as well. Second caveat is, uh, let's, just, let's just acknowledge that interpreting biblical prophecy, especially about the end times, is inherently a tricky thing to do. And in fact, if anybody comes to you and says, I know exactly what the Bible says about who's going to do what and what date it's going to happen, you should be very, very wary. This is tricky, even for people who studied it for years. And the reason is, frankly, the Bible just doesn't give that much detail about what happens at the end. Compared to the whole scope of Scripture, it's a very small slice of the Bible. And when it does talk about it, it tends to use lots of imagery, lots of symbolism, which is notoriously tricky to interpret. And don't, don't get me wrong, on the important things, the Bible definitely tells us. It tells us, it paints a beautiful picture of God's ultimate plan for creation, but when it comes to the details and specific dates and specific events, it tends to be a little more fuzzy. And you know what? That's okay. That's okay. I fully believe God has given us everything we need to know in Scripture to faithfully follow Him. 
I heard one time somebody talk about uh, biblical prophecy about the end times and, and say it's sort of like reading a trail sign when you're hiking in the fog. You may have to squint a little bit, and it's not going to give you the full picture, the full panorama when you get to that vista after the fog lifts, but it does point you in the right direction, right? And that's the way biblical prophecy is. So with that caveat in mind, let's walk through the rest of the passage, starting with verse 15. Uh, the first thing Paul says here is according to the Lord's word. He tells the Thessalonians how he knows uh, what he's about to tell them. He says, according to the Lord's word. And scholars have different ideas about what he meant by that. But I agree with those who think this means that Jesus had actually taught these truths to his disciples before he ascended to heaven. Now, these exact words are obviously not included in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. But Jesus said many, many things that were not written down. And I agree with those who, who say that apparently this is one of the things that Jesus taught his disciples about that had been handed down by his followers. And the first thing uh, that Paul says here is that we who are alive will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Now, again, different commentators interpret this different ways, but I lean toward the most straightforward reading that says when Jesus comes back, all of his followers, whether they are dead or whether they were alive, will be raised to life together during the same event that he's describing. He then starts to give a, a couple of details. He uses some imagery. Verse 16, he says, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven. He'll come down from heaven. What in the world does that mean? Well, we could t we'd spend a lot of time talking about it, but just let me point out a couple of brief things. First of all, when, when you see that word down, Paul is using symbolic language. Paul doesn't mean that heaven is literally up. So like whichever part of the earth you're uh, standing on, it's in a different direction. He's not saying that heaven is up and earth is down. In fact, there are a number of other passages where Paul talks about the same exact event. And instead of using come down, he uses the word appear, appear, which is really interesting. The, the main point that he's trying to say is that Jesus is going to make his way from heaven to earth, from heaven to earth. And what is heaven? Well, the Bible teaches, first of all, heaven is a real place. Heaven's not just a nice idea. Heaven is a real place. It is the realm where God reigns. We cannot currently see it with our eyes, but that, friends, that doesn't mean it's not real. It doesn't mean also that it's far away. You know, there are all kinds of things that we can't see that are real, right? One example I was thinking of this week is, did you know that this room is filled with radio waves right now? Right now, zooming all throughout the room, even through us, bouncing around, uh, they're filling the space from radio stations, from the Wi-Fi hotspots up in the uh, catwalks, from our wireless microphones, from the cell phones in your pockets. They're, they're zooming around this room, but we can't see them, right? In the same way, friends, heaven is a real place. We can't perceive it with our five senses, but the Bible teaches that it's near. And it teaches that Jesus will return from heaven to earth. And Paul says when this happens, it's not going to be a secret. He said it's going to be a big deal. He says there's going to be a loud shout. And he says there's a trumpet that's going to play. Revelation 1, when it talks about this event, says every eye will see him. There will be no mistaking the return of the Lord Jesus. And when he comes, Paul says this. He says, the dead in Christ will rise first. The dead in Christ will rise first. This is what we talked about a few minutes ago. Jesus' resurrection guarantees our resurrection. When Jesus comes back, all those who have died in Christ will be resurrected just as Jesus was resurrected. Now, this gets really, really interesting. Let's dig into this for a minute. Uh, there, there is some confusion about what this 
means. Many people have been influenced a little more by Hollywood than by scripture when it comes to this topic. And, and sometimes people are under the impression that, that resurrection is only a spiritual reality. Like when we're raised, we won't have a body. Like we'll just be ghosts or spirits just floating around. Friends, I am pleased to tell you that's not what scripture teaches. Remember that God will raise us just like he raised Jesus, right? We've seen that throughout the New Testament. And how did he raise Jesus? He physically raised his physical body. Think about this. If Jesus was just raised as a spirit, as a spirit what would have been in the tomb on Easter morning? His body would have been in the tomb, right? But what was in the tomb? Nothing. Nothing. Amen. And this was a complete shock to everyone, by the way, even Jesus' followers. I love how Andy Stanley, Pastor Andy Stanley puts this. He says, nobody expected nobody. Nobody expected nobody. Nobody expected the tomb to be empty, right? Nobody expects a dead body to come back to life. But that's exactly what happened. After Jesus' resurrection, he physically appeared to his disciples in bodily form. In bodily form. In many ways, it, it was the same. I, I don't know if you've read all of this different, different stuff that it talks about after Jesus' resurrection, but it said he had a physical body. People touched him. He ate. He had conversations with people. They knew each other. At the same time, there were some things that were different too, right? Uh, Jesus had this strange ability to appear and disappear. He, he walked through uh, walls and locked doors. And in, in certain situations, people were temporarily kept from recognizing him. And then, of course, after 40 days, uh, he ascended physically into heaven. But the main point is this. When Jesus was raised, he didn't turn into a ghost. He received a new body, a resurrection body, a glorified body, different from his old body, but a body Nonetheless, and friends, that is exactly what scripture says will happen to you and to me when Jesus comes back. This is all throughout the New Testament, but one example I really like is in Philippians 3. Check this out. Philippians 3 says, but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there. See that again? Our savior, Jesus, coming from heaven to earth, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Isn't that amazing? When Jesus comes, he will transform our lowly bodies to be like the physical body he had after his resurrection. That just blows my mind. I hope it does the same for you. Again, I have so many questions. What will these new bodies be like? What age will we be? How tall will we be? Most importantly, will I finally be able to dunk a basketball? I don't know, I have no idea. But what I do know is that scripture tells us we will be raised and we will be given a new body, a body that doesn't wear out, amen, a body that doesn't need knee replacement surgery, a body that does not develop cancer, a body that never dies. As 1 Corinthians 15 puts it, the perishable will clothe itself with the imperishable, the mortal with immortality. The dead in Christ will rise. But that's not all. I sound like a bad infomercial, don't I? But that's not all. But it's true. It's not all. The passage continues. Paul says that we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them, those who've died, in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Man, this passage keeps getting better and better, friends. Paul says that those who are still living will be together with those who have died. This 
is an unbelievably precious promise to those of us who follow Jesus. When you bury your mom or your dad, when you say goodbye to your dear friend, when, God forbid, you lose a child, it is not over. Amen, it is not over. You will be together with them again. And not together just in some kind of hazy, immaterial, disembodied state. You will physically see them again. You will touch them again. And you will be together just in the same way that Jesus was together with the disciples after his resurrection. And together, Paul says, we will be caught up to meet Jesus in the air. Now, this, this verse uh, is one that has led some people to believe, uh, like I mentioned before, that we'll just spend eternity sitting on the clouds playing harps. Uh, but that's not what Paul's saying here. This is really, really interesting to me. The word uh, that he uses for, for meat here, this word meat, uh, is not meat like, hey, let's, let's you and I meet in Colorado and move there. No, this word meet is more like you've been waiting for an old friend to come visit and you're so excited for them to get here that when you see their car pull up, you go out and meet them in the front yard. You're not planning to, to stay in the front yard, right? You're just so excited to greet them that you meet them in the front yard and then you come inside with them. That's the exact uh, meaning of the Greek expression that Paul is using here. In fact, the Roman historian Cicero uses the same exact phrase, the same Greek word to describe what happened when Julius Caesar would go around to the different cities in the Roman Empire. As Caesar was coming, he said that the people from the town would go out to the edge of town and meet him, same word, meet him, and then bring him back into the city. The, the Apostle John uses this same word, meet, when he talks about the triumphal entry. You remember when Jesus is on the outskirts of Jerusalem and the, the people from the city get palm branches and they go out to the edge of town to meet him and to accompany him as he comes into the city? Same exact uh, word. So in other words, Paul's not saying that the clouds are our final destination. He's saying that we who are still alive will go out to meet Jesus in the air and then come back to earth with him. Friends, the message of the Bible is not that we will be uh, rescued from, from earth and taken to some, some far-off mystical realm. No, the message of the Bible is that God's coming back. He's going to fix everything. He's going to redeem everything. He's going to restore our broken world. And just as he's going to give us new bodies, he is going to recreate and restore the earth as well. If you want to know more about this, read the last two chapters of the Bible, Revelation 21 and 22, or a beautiful description of what John says is the new heaven and the new earth that God is creating. And after Paul says, we'll meet Jesus in the air and escort him back to the new earth, he closes with the beautiful line. He says, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Friends, that is good news. That is good news. We don't have to live in despair like those who have no hope. We can live in hope because Jesus was raised. We believe that we will be raised. We will be together with Jesus. We will be together with our loved ones. We'll have new glorified bodies that are like Jesus' resurrection body. And we will live in a new earth where Jesus is the king, where there will be no more crying, no more mourning, no more death, no more pain. For as Revelation says, the old order of things has passed away. And that, friends, is a better hope than anything else the world has to offer. Amen.
I want to close with a, a parable that I love, a modern-day parable. It's a, about a fictional conversation that happened between two twins uh, inside their mother's womb. One twin asked the other, do you believe in life after delivery? The other replied, why, of course, there has to be something after delivery. Maybe we're here to prepare ourselves for what will happen later. Nonsense, said the first. There's no life after delivery. What kind of life would that be? The second said, well, I don't know, but I think there'll be more light there. Maybe we'll walk with our legs and eat from our mouths. Maybe we'll have other senses that we can't understand right now. The first replied, that's absurd. Walking's impossible. And eating with our mouths, that's ridiculous. The umbilical cord supplies nutrition and everything that we need. But the umbilical cord is so short, life after delivery is to be logically excluded. The second insisted, well, I, I think there's something, and, and maybe it's different than it is here. Maybe we won't need this physical cord anymore. And the first replied, nonsense. And moreover, if there is life, then why has no one ever come back from there? Delivery is the end of life. And in the after delivery, there is nothing but darkness and silence and oblivion. It takes us nowhere. Well, I don't know, said the second, but certainly we'll meet mother and she'll take care of us. The first replied, mother, you actually believe in mother? That's laughable. If mother exists, where is she now? The second said, she's all around us. We are surrounded by her. We are of her. It is in her that we live. Without her, this world would not and could not exist. Said the first, well, I don't see her, so it's only logical that she doesn't exist. To which the second replied, sometimes when it's really quiet and, it's and you focus and you really listen, you can perceive her presence. You can hear her loving voice calling down from above. Friends, it is in our Father that we live and move and have our being. And one day, one day soon, Jesus will return to raise those who have died in him, to renew those who are still alive, and to restore this broken world. So live in hope. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for these encouraging Words. We want to do just what Paul told us to do. He told us to encourage each other with these words. And we, we pray that uh, these words would be an encouragement to our hearts uh, this morning. We thank you that you love us so much that your love doesn't end in this life, but it continues on into eternity. Thank you for uh, the, the firm foundation of our hope that's found in the resurrection that you experienced. God, I pray that you would fill each person here today with hope. No matter what they're dealing with today, God, I pray that you would fill them with peace, fill them with hope. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.